1: And other things about political and social issues going on around the world, both past, present, and future,
2: which will hopefully make you think. Chilling on my New York steps, watching young women walk by, sensual heat, sensual sweat, my skin begins to fry. Long-legged leotard ladies slink silently past my open door. My body shudders. My mind stutters watching such erotic decor. Girlies walk their dogs past my gaze. My mind becomes a sexual haze. As they stoop to scoop their puppies poop, my face turns red. My head so droops. Gotta gamble and take a chance. Gotta find some sweet romance. Living lonely really sucks. When your best friend's a parrot, you're out of luck. Got eight lovely ladies living on my floor. Feels so good to watch my neighbors run into the store. When you live in New York City, God, who could want for more? I'm a sweet Jewish guy. You ladies gotta give me a try. Numbers written on bathroom walls. My poetry too, something about blue balls. Sitting in a New York deli, knishes and beer to feel my belly. Chewing a hard crunchy kosher pickle. Thinking about my Jewish ladies, so damn fickle. Ask my rabbi for advice. Told me to forget about weddings and rice. Went to a minister, went to a priest. All I got was a holy feast. Years ago I had a blind date. A Jewish chick with cane and cape. Felt my forehead and my face. Said my mouth was out of place. Got me a nose job. Fixed my chin, hair replacement from an old kin. Plucked my eyebrows just for kicks. Smeared some coloring on my lips. Seems no matter how hard I try, my face still looks like a fish that died. My belly is bulbous, my ass even bigger. I feel like jello that can only quiver. Guess I'm just a New York nebbish. Ladies say I got an unnatural fetish. But all I want is to get a date. Maybe find my true soulmate. When I reached my puberty, family thought I was a tutti-frutti. Told them that I wasn't gay. Maybe I should go the other way. Girls never played dollhouse with me. Never played daddy, despite my pleas. Solitaire and one-eyed jacks. When it came to board games, I never lacked. Stole some kisses from my older sister. Slapped my face, said, no more, mister. Asked my neighbor for a date. Her husband told me to find another mate. Dudes call me a big dumb boner. Say I'm just a mean old Mona. Problem is, I'm an effing loner. But all I really want to be is a lady's sperm donor. Got a devil in my head. Bastard calls himself Fred. He screams, you better date. I cry, it's too damn late. Got me a virgin tool. Guess I shouldn't play the lady's fool. I need to act a right cool dude if I ever want to see a hot chick nude. Fantasized about cute ladies on the bus. Asking for a date would be no big fuss. Problem is I'm a fat, funny male. Probably get my head slammed against the bus handrail. Put an ad in New York paper. Handsome gent looking for a favor. Went for coffee, went for tea. Girls love the pie, but they sure didn't love me. Dating service showed my picture to some pretty chick. She said she'd rather watch old government flicks. Said I looked like a ugly old boar. Dating service paid me back, said leave, come no more. Guess I could just watch old John Wayne flicks. Boob tubing to forget about getting no chicks. Sci-fi, horror, Western and porn. Just lay back and munch till the morn. Maybe if I try to read a book, hide away in my New York nook. Guess I could read some Bible stories. Think about all those Israelite glories. Went to Jamaica to find a good lady. Met a nice Jewish girl named Sadie, pulled my groin doing a limbo rock. Spent the next week with the Kingston dock, Went on a cruise to do some hustle. Long dong silver with little muscle. Captain thought I was really cute. First mate chased me in my birthday suit. Flew to Europe to find me a bride. Russian beauties all run and hide. Ukrainians, Poles, and British gals. Not one of them wants to be my pal. Got no luck with young ladies. Looks like I'm living in an earthly Hades. Maybe next life I'll score some skin. With my luck, I'll be wearing fishy fins. Bella babes at my window. charming chickies at my door. When you live in New York City, shit, who could ask for more? Guess I'm too damn old for young chicks. Guess I'm destined for old skin flicks. Guess I'm well past my prime. Guess I'll never have a valentine. Nursing home nurses will just have to do or some old biddy with swine flu. Adult diapers sure ain't much fun, unless you're kinky about the runs. Who could help this aging prankster? Send me your daughters. I'm no gangster. I'll treat the ladies really good. We could catch a bus and cruise my hood. As you see, I got no muzzle. Picking up ladies is really a puzzle. Maybe that's why I'm such a shicker. Life's not so painful when you're drinking liquor. I'm a loser and a boozer whose life is shit. When it comes to smoking, Christ, I just can't quit. I roamed the Big Apple looking for change. Now I'm looking for a doctor to cure my mange. Just when you think you're at the bottom of the barrel, God decides you need some more peril. Got hit by a taxi and bitten by a rat. New York Fuzz just raided my flat. That's my story. Sad but true, I screwed up Freakazoid, who's really blue. Guess I'll die a virgin dude. Why the hell is life so rude? Got a demon in my head, calls himself Little Fred, screams aloud that I should date. I cry at night, it's too late, too damn late, too damn late, too damn late for a New I York man. I have a interview. dream
3: yeah. that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that
4: all men are created Bernie Sanders, who the hell is he? A friend of you and me, a man of integrity. Bernie Sanders, who the hell is he? 21st Century Revolutionary Stand with Bernie 2016 It's time we stop the Wall Street
0: machine
4: Bernie Sanders, who the hell is he? Listen to him speak Maybe then you'll see We're red, white, and blue Not red, white, and green Stand with Bernie 2016
2: I am the Universal Mother with a Universal Plea. We are the mothers of innocent child. Nations of war bring conflicts so wild. Since men could walk and think on their feet, to our lands they sailed with their war-hungry fleet. From Vietnam to the Middle East, African shores to European streets, wars have ravaged our hearth and home, a fact world leaders never seem to bemoan. Armies recruit our sons to fight. Manipulating young minds just is not right. Leave them alone, don't abuse our boys. Stop using the young as your foul war toys. Soldiers stand with heads held high, tools of death pointed up to the sky. Wooden soldiers marching so proud, ignoring our pleas, though our shouts be loud. Showers of death as we work in our fields. Artillery and tanks, we've become human shields. Wings of a demon, manned and drone. Bombs from blue sky rain hell on our home. Battles for land, religion, and greed. Men never consider a mother's need. We are the victims of ungodly desire. Our children suffer when hate is on fire. Bandaged babies carried home, children on crutches, so afraid to roam. Our hospitals echo with cries of despair, while doctors and nurses rush to repair. Families bury dead kin every day. Children shelled and lost while at play. Caught in a crossfire of bullets and bombs, Our pleas for mercy become mournful songs. Hiding in corners, cowering in fear. Gunfire and shell sound all too near. A nation's child was buried today. A victim of wars that seemed the only way. In a cemetery near our home, a teddy bear rests against a child's tombstone. A young spirit ravaged by the winds of war. An innocent babe who deserved so much more. Governments from nations far and near show little conscience, little fear to ravage our people, burn our homes. Our children become prisoners, afraid to roam. Men of conscience, diamonds in the rough. Politicians and generals know only how to act tough. Please trade your weapons for seed and grain. Stop showering us with bullets, your demon rain. A mother of this earth with hopes and fears. My children should know love through all their years. I am all mothers, my family is dear, but men who make war have created great fear. Why must our children suffer such pain? Why must soldiers torch us for gain? When will men learn from the past, conquest by nations will never last? I am the universal mother with a universal plea.
5: My fellow Americans, I am about to sign into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I want to take this occasion to talk to you about what that law means to every American. One hundred and eighty-eight years ago this week, a small band of valiant men began a long struggle for freedom. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor not only to found a nation, but to forge an ideal of freedom, not only for political independence, but for personal liberty, not only to eliminate foreign rule, but to establish the rule of justice in the affairs of men. That struggle was a turning point in our history. Today, in far corners of distant continents, the ideals of those American patriots still shape the struggles of men who hunger for freedom. This is a proud triumph, yet those who founded our country knew that freedom would be secure only if each generation fought to renew and enlarge its meaning. From the Minutemen at Concord to the soldiers in Vietnam, each generation has been equal to that trust. Americans of every race and color have died in battle to protect our freedom. Americans of every race and color have worked to build a nation of widening opportunities. Now our generation of Americans has been called on to continue the unending search for justice within our own borders. We believe that all men are created equal, yet many are denied equal treatment. We believe that all men have certain unalienable rights, yet many Americans do not enjoy those rights. We believe that all men are entitled to the blessings of liberty, yet millions are being deprived of those blessings, not because of their own failures, but because of the color of their skin. The reasons are deeply embedded in history and tradition and the nature of man. We can understand without rancor or hatred how this all happened, but it cannot continue. Our Constitution, the foundation of our Republic, forbids it. The principles of our freedom forbid it. Morality forbids it, and the law I will sign tonight forbids it.
6: (laughs) not allow fear to stand in our way. I have fought against white domination. And I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the idea of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve, but if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die.
3: History as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Yes. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today, signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But one hundred years later, the Negro still is not free. One hundred years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, The Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later. The Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men—yes, black men as well as white men—would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back, marked insufficient funds. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro has granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For well, many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize
4: that
3: their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. As we walk,
7: We must make
3: the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of all the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the city. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote, and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi, go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sane Clinton. I just want to drop in real quick and say thank you for listening to this show. Whether you listen through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google, Player FM, or any other way, I just want to say thank you.
7: Yeah. Thank you very much, Gertrude Mangella, for your dedicated work that has brought us to this point. Distinguished delegates and guests, I would like to thank the Secretary General for inviting me to be part of this important United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women. This is truly a celebration. A celebration of the contributions women make in every aspect of life. In the home, on the job, in the community. As mothers, wives, sisters, daughters, learners, workers, citizens, and leaders. It is also a coming together, much the way women come together every day in every country. We come together in fields and factories, in village markets and supermarkets, in living rooms and board rooms. Whether it is while playing with our children in the park or washing clothes in a river, or taking a break at the office water cooler, we come together and talk about our aspirations and concerns. And time and again, our talk turns to our children and our families. However different we may appear, there is far more that unites us than divides us. We share a common future, and we are here to find common ground so that we may help bring new dignity and respect to women and girls all over the world and in so doing, bring new strength and stability to families as well. By gathering in Beijing, we are focusing world attention on issues that matter most in our lives, the lives of women and their families. Access to education, health care, jobs and credit, the chance to enjoy basic legal and human rights, and to participate fully in the political life of our countries. There are some who question the reason for this conference. Let them listen to the voices of women in their homes, neighborhoods, and workplaces. There are some who wonder whether the lives of women and girls matter to economic and political progress around the globe. Let them look at the women gathered here and at Wairo the homemakers and nurses, the teachers and lawyers, the policymakers, and women who run their own businesses. It is conferences like this that compel governments and peoples everywhere to listen, look, and face the world's most pressing problems. Wasn't it, after all, after the Women's Conference in Nairobi ten years ago, that the world focused for the first time on the crisis of domestic violence. Earlier today, I participated in a World Health Organization Forum. In that forum, we talked about ways that government officials, NGOs, and individual citizens are working to address the health problems of women and girls. Tomorrow, I will attend a gathering of the United Nations Development Fund for Women, There, the discussion will focus on local and highly successful programs that give hard-working women access to credit so they can improve their own lives and the lives of their families. What we are learning around the world is that if women are healthy and educated, their families will flourish. If women are free from violence, their families will flourish. If women have a chance to work and earn as full and equal partners in society, their families will flourish. And when families flourish, communities and nations do as well. That is why every woman, every man, every child, every family, and every nation on this planet does have a stake in the discussion that takes place here. Over the past 25 years, I have worked persistently on issues relating to women, children, and families. Over the past two and a half years, I've had the opportunity to learn more about the challenges facing women in my own country and around the world. I have met new mothers in Indonesia who come together regularly in their village to discuss nutrition, family planning, and baby care. I have met working parents in Denmark who talk about the comfort they feel in knowing that their children can be cared for in safe and nurturing after-school centers. I have met women in South Africa who helped lead the struggle to end apartheid and are now helping to build a new democracy. I have met with the leading women of my own hemisphere who are working every day to promote literacy and better health care. Or children in their countries. I have met women in India and Bangladesh who are taking out small loans to buy milk cows or rickshaws or thread in order to create a livelihood for themselves and their families. I have met the doctors and nurses in Belarus and Ukraine who are trying to keep children alive in the aftermath of Chernobyl. The great challenge of this conference is to give voice to women everywhere whose experiences go unnoticed, whose words go unheard. Women comprise more than half the world's population, 70 percent of the world's poor, and two-thirds of those who are not taught to read and write. We are the primary caretakers for most of the world's children and elderly, yet much of the work we do. Is not valued, not by economists, not by historians, not by popular culture, not by government leaders. At this very moment, as we sit here, women around the world are giving birth, raising children, cooking meals, washing clothes, cleaning houses, planting crops, working on assembly lines, running companies, and running countries. Women also are dying from diseases that should have been prevented or treated. They are watching their children succumb to malnutrition caused by poverty and economic deprivation. They are being denied the right to go to school by their own fathers and brothers. They are being forced into prostitution. And they are being barred from the bank lending offices and banned from the ballot box. Those of us who have the opportunity to be here have the responsibility to speak for those who could not. As an American, I want to speak for women in my own country, women who are raising children on the minimum wage, women who can't afford health care or child care, women whose lives are threatened by violence, including violence in their own homes. I want to speak up for mothers who are fighting for good schools, safe neighborhoods, clean air, and clean airwaves. For older women, some of them widows, who find that after raising their families, their skills and life experiences are not valued in the marketplace. For women who are working all night as nurses, hotel clerks, or fast food chefs so that they can be at home during the day with their children. And for women everywhere who simply don't have time to do everything they are called upon to do each and every day. Speaking to you today, I speak for them just as each of us speaks for women around the world who are denied the chance to go to school, or see a doctor, or own property, or have a say about the direction of their lives simply because they are women. The truth is that most women around the world work both inside and outside the home, usually by necessity. We need to understand there is no one formula for how women should lead our lives. That is why we must respect the choices that each woman makes for herself and her family. Every woman deserves the chance to realize her own God-given potential, but we must recognize that women will never gain full dignity until their human rights are respected and protected. Our goals for this conference, to strengthen families and societies by empowering women to take greater control over their own destinies, cannot be fully achieved unless all governments here and around the world accept their responsibility to protect and promote internationally recognized human rights. The The international community has long acknowledged and recently reaffirmed at Vienna that both women and men are entitled to a range of protections and personal freedoms from the right of personal security to the right to determine freely the number and spacing of the children they bear. No one one should be forced to remain silent for fear of religious or political persecution, arrest, abuse, or torture. Tragically, women are most often the ones whose human rights are violated. Even now, in the late 20th century, the rape of women continues to be used as an instrument of armed conflict. Women and children make up a large majority of the world's refugees, and when women are excluded from the political process, they become even more vulnerable to abuse. I believe that now, on the eve of a new millennium. It is time to break the silence. It is time for us to say here in Beijing, and for the world to hear, that it is no longer acceptable to discuss women's rights as separate from human rights. abuses have continued because for too long the history of women has been a history of silence. Even today there are those who are trying to silence our words, but the voices of this conference and of the women at Wairoa must be heard loudly and clearly. It is a violation of human rights when babies are denied food, or drowned, or suffocated, or their spines broken simply because they are born girls. It is a violation of human rights when women and girls are sold into the slavery of prostitution for human greed and the kinds of reasons that are used to justify this practice should no longer be tolerated. It is a violation of human rights when women are doused with gasoline, set on fire, and burned to death because their marriage dowries are deemed too small. It is a violation of human rights when individual women are raped in their own communities and when thousands of women are subjected to rape as a tactic or prize of war. It is a violation of human rights when a leading cause of death worldwide among women ages 14 to 44 is the violence they are subjected to in their own homes by their own relatives. It is a violation of human rights when young girls are brutalized by the painful and degrading practice of genital mutilation. It is a violation of human rights when women are denied the right to plan their own families, and that includes being forced to have abortions or being sterilized against their will. If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all. And among those rights are the right to speak freely and the right to be heard. Women must enjoy the rights to participate fully in the social and political lives of their countries if we want freedom and democracy to thrive and endure. It is indefensible that many women in non-governmental organizations who wish to participate in this conference have not been able to attend or have been prohibited from fully taking part. Let me be clear. Freedom means the right of people to assemble, organize, and debate openly. It means respecting the views of those who may disagree with the views of their governments. It means not taking citizens away from their loved ones and jailing them, mistreating them, or denying them their freedom or dignity because of the peaceful expression of their ideas and opinions. In my country, we recently celebrated the 75th anniversary of women's suffrage. It took 150 years after the signing of our Declaration of Independence for women to win the right to vote. It took 72 years of organized struggle before that happened on the part of many courageous women and men. It was one of America's most divisive philosophical wars. But it was a bloodless war. Suffrage was achieved without a shot being fired. But we have also been reminded, in VJ Day observances last weekend, of the good that comes when men and women join together to combat the forces of tyranny and to build a better world. We have seen peace prevail in most places, for a half century. We have avoided another world war. But we have not solved older, deeply rooted problems that continue to diminish the potential of half the world's population. Now it is the time to act on behalf of women everywhere. If we take bold steps to better the lives of women, We will be taking bold steps to better the lives of children and families, too. Families rely on mothers and wives for emotional support and care. Families rely on women for labor in the home. And increasingly, everywhere, families rely on women for income needed to raise healthy children and care for other relatives. As long as discrimination and inequities remain so commonplace everywhere in the world, as long as girls and women are valued less, fed less, fed last, overworked, underpaid, not schooled, subjected to violence in and outside their homes, the potential of the human family to create a peaceful, prosperous world will not be realized. Let let this conference be our and the world's call to action. Let us heed that call so we can create a world in which every woman is treated with respect and dignity. Every boy and girl is loved and cared for equally. And every family has the hope of a strong and stable future. That is the work before you, that is the work before all of us who have a vision of the world we want to see for our children and our grandchildren. The time is now. We must move beyond rhetoric, we must move beyond recognition of problems to working together to have the common efforts to build that common ground we hope to see. God's blessings on you, your work, and all who will benefit from it. Godspeed and thank you very much.
3: I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today, signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But one hundred years later, the Negro still is not free. One hundred years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later. The Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty, in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity one hundred years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today, to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of
1: now. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. This is St. Quentin. And we've come to the end of Think It Ain't Illegal Yeah. back soon with a new episode, and hopefully this episode has made you think, and want to make a difference in this world. Now I'm going to turn on, for the love of poetry and spoken word,
4: and think. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I join my colleague, Mr. Rangel,
0: in thanking you.